No one likes the term applied to them, but what exactly is prejudice? Can we be prejudiced and not even know it? Or can we accuse someone else who really isn't? Where does it really come from and why is it so common? Welcome to Word for the Week, Season 2, Episode 20. This week's word is prejudice. Join us as we discuss the dynamics of prejudice. Well, our Sunday series at Canaan is based on Acts 1-8, and uh, that's what uh, led us into this ugly word of prejudice. So, Kathy, would you mind giving us a, a read on the passage? Not on prejudice, on the passage. Sure. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, Acts 1-8. Right, and each of those uh, places, of course, they symbolize some area in our own life to apply it in our world and time. And our relationship with Christ is supposed to be such that we'll actually be impacting those areas with his presence. Right, Jerusalem in Christ's time would have been their immediate community. Judea was the culture or nation, but how about Samaria? Well, there's a tough one. I think the, the most challenging of all, actually, when you look at these places. And on Sunday, we'll dig into the background of Samaria more. And uh, I have to tell you, it's something of a fascinating study of 2,300-year-old, uh, 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 not year-old, 2,300-year period study into deep prejudice, uh, how it forms. Hmm. And even more intriguing is how it forms among religious people or God's people. Well, I suppose we should begin by defining prejudice. Yep, and uh, I'll tell you what, I found this term surprisingly slippery to try and, and uh, nail it down. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're actually going to, I think, have some challenge with accuracy all the way through this, but there's the disclaimer for the beginning. Okay. Of it. Well, let me throw out a, a few definitions and all see right. what you think. Sure. The first one is this, a preconceived opinion that's not based on reason or actual experience. What do you think? Good or bad definition? Well, I'll start with this. I'll say it's true, um, especially um, as we consider the history of Samaria, though it's not particularly accurate. And I say that in our current culture, we do. We tend to have these preconceived notions because uh, we live in the melting pot where many different groups have been squeezed together and mm -hmm. so we're very sensitive to the differences between us, especially in close proximity. Mm -hmm. But in the case of uh, a Samaria type scenario, it's actually a homogenous group that slowly grew apart or grew different. Mm -hmm. So yes, we end up in the same place, but the dynamics that get us there is much different. So. Interesting. Okay, well, how about this one? A liking or dislike for one rather than another, especially without good reason. Is that one any better? Well, uh, a little better maybe, <laughs> but, uh, and it was almost saved by, for me anyway, the, the word especially, but not quite. Uh, often the, the distrust between groups has good reasons. I mean, you, you know, there's legitimate reasons that, that develop there. Now, let's just take Samaria, for for instance. Um, we won't get in so much the history of it, but uh, for the Jewish folks to be traveling in Christ's time, anyway, through the Samaritan land was dicey business. Um, uh, like I say, without getting into the history of it, there was a whole thing dealing with temples. So, uh, how it developed is 
especially when pilgrims were going to Jerusalem for high festivals in the temple, this was a real sore point for Samaritans and they went out of their way to make it hard to, to for their travels. Mm -hmm. In fact, there were times people were known to be murdered along the way. Um, and and I, we have a certain parallel of if in any large city, uh, probably in the world, let alone America, as an outsider, you know, it's wise to maybe stay out of those hot zones, if you will. Uh, and, and you can call it prejudice, but the bottom line is uh, your personal safety may be at stake if you go in those areas. So it, it gets a little slippery defining, you know, the motivation and why you do what. But mm. there was a good reason for the Jewish people to stay out of Samaria. So Okay. Well, here's a third suggestion that isn't so much a definition as the basis for research. It was a 1950 study by Bettelheim and Janowitz. And basically, this is what they said, prejudice mm -hmm. is a hostile attitude toward a group characterized by irrational stereotype beliefs. Prejudice can exist toward any manner of person or group on the basis of ethnicity, but also such things as weight, disability, sexual orientation, or religious affiliation. They go on to say that the reason for prejudice is an individual is hostile to that group because they see them as responsible for their misfortune in the past and they have anxiety about causing even more deprivation in the future. And essentially that group is making living conditions in the culture worse. Well, say this. The study you've just encapsulated seems to be a go-to for those doing research and prejudice. So let's just hang our hat on it for now. Here's a question for you. Even though we um, tend to look very young and vibrant, people <laughs> may be surprised to know this, that we're actually children of the 60s. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, on a podcast, you can even hear it in our voice, you know, just so young looking. <laughs> but the truth of it is, you grew up in the, the Boston area as right. a child. I grew up in northeastern Canada and a very different world. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, let's compare notes. Let's see that in the 60s, as we were growing up in those years, what dynamics of prejudice did we personally uh, witness or experience through, through our lives? Mm -hmm. And it's not to be um, ethnically or politically insensitive. We're just trying to uh, tack down some of the dynamics of these this type of division that happened into our communities. And and you were the, the uh, big city, big girl. So <laughs> I'll, I'll pass to you first. So what, what things did you notice of, of, that would fit in this definition for you? Well, first of all, my parents moved out to the suburbs from Boston um, and because they were trying to get away from the big city kind of feel. Right. And, of course, in the 60s, with everything that was going on, which I've straightened my hair for the, the yep. look of the 60s. Just the theme going on there. Um, the folks, they started doing the busing oh, in the school, right. school yeah. system. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, as anybody can look up, it was chaos. Right. And folks that, um, families that um, could afford to, started moving out to the suburbs. It, even for and I mean that that's you were already in the suburbs, but they were moving even to further suburbs. Well, and they were moving to our suburbs, um, like uh, well-to-do black families that didn't want to be part of that 
inner chaos city, yeah. started moving mm-hmm. to to where you were. And so, and then folks in my area started to, so what, to move out again. What and groups of people moved out? You said uh, um, so economics was part of it. Those yeah, who were those are, we had in our town, it, it was predominantly two religious groups, and one was bigger than the other. It was a very large um, Hebrew population. Um, okay, Jewish group. Jewish group. And so. Um, they tended to be wealthier than us. They were and, very professional. Yes. Yeah. And so they started to move out mm-hmm. to further suburbs. And, um, and so were... it kept changing. There was such yeah. change. And then I noticed even in my high school, mm-hmm. there were um, certain groups of kids that... Uh, I wasn't a goody two-shoes, but they, they were kind of... Oh, wild boys, I like, wonder. You know. <laughs> no, no, I... Anyway, okay, you but were a wild child. Right. There, there was just a lot of changes within the the kids, and there was these groups of the wild ones, and you know, it was just. Um, I was kind of a pretend flower child. I decorated <laughs> my jeans and stuff, you know. But I, my wife, the pretend hippie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was it was quite a time of change in, yeah. in my little town. Yeah, you. I mean, an incredible demographic move. And now, when I go. The last time I was back, totally different, different again. Yeah, yeah, different again. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because you talked, and, and it was really like we say, it's not, it's not to get um, insensitive on it, but the groups that you move, you had a racial group that was in the move, mm-hmm. an economic group that was in the move, mm-hmm. and, and then further down you had the Kennedys and the ultra wealthy. Yeah, because we were right kind of in the middle. The middle between. of that. Yeah. yeah. So you can see the the, the migration there. And then the religious, because like you say, mm-hmm. uh, you were mentioning, you said at one time it seemed there were more uh, Jewish synagogues yeah. than there were churches. Yeah. And to me, that's mind-blowing, because yeah. I, I didn't even see a synagogue until I was in college. So yeah. that, that was not even on my scope where I was. Now, where I lived, uh, it was its own interesting little test tube of sociology, if you will, yeah. To the north, we had a First Nations, or as we call them then, Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a large reservation to the north of us. What were they? Micmac. Micmac. Yeah. Micmac there. And let me tell you, if, if you can... And a Micmac friend. If you could learn the language, you're way better than I am, because I couldn't even make sense of the rules. <laughs> but um, we had those people to the north of us, that group, I shouldn't say those people, to the north of us. You had the kind of the everyday English people for the most part, uh, with some mix, in the center part of town. To the west, we had the poor congregating French people. Mm. And then to the east, we had the congregating very, very poor white people. Mm. And uh, I I was telling you, I said, I never even heard you use that term before. I said, that was called rabbit town. (laughs) And uh, and uh, the best parallel is, is anybody who was, we shouldn't admit, we were big, you know, watched SNL skits, but there were some classics. And the one, I, I think it was Farley that did the one with the uh, motivational speaker, if you remember mm-hmm. that one. And he would end everything. He said, or you'll end up in the van down by the river. 
you know, and, and uh, we had the parallel, really, I, probably everybody does, but for us, it was like, if you weren't going to do well in life, you would end up in Rabbit Town. <laughs> You're going to end up in Rabbit Town. Uh, how the name came about, we I theorize to this day, I don't know. But the point is, we had, um, if you look at it, we had economic uh, economically divided groups, mm -hmm. racially divided groups, mm -hmm. and then culturally divided groups, yeah. um, uh, cultural linguistic divided groups. And everyone was fairly set in their ways. Uh, um, you could go anywhere from very cognizant of the different groups to straight out without any doubt prejudice in all of those groups. Mm. So uh, it came quite natural uh, to the whole situation, but what a different picture of division from what you grew up in. Yeah. The names the names and the faces are quite different. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I, I think we've established one thing, is that for the human mind, prejudice comes naturally and it happens everywhere. <laughs> right. And, and I certainly wouldn't, I don't think anyone can argue with that. But what really intrigues me, it's so inherent. Very few people stop to ask why. You know, uh, a preconceived notion of, of other people to a point, it's a survival skill. And, and we can see that in certain... Because when we start out as children... We, we really don't have, um, or I don't think, have prejudice, you know. Yeah. You, you see somebody different when you're little, and you're curious, Yeah. you know, but... Well, the thing about that, the, the popular thinking today would be that's because prejudice is, is an environmentally induced Which thing. isn't really what... Yeah. Well, and, and obviously there is a re reality factor. People teach their children to be prejudiced. Yeah. But the thing I think is that doesn't really answer all of it because mm. children grow up regardless. And, and, you know, somewhere along the line there wasn't prejudice and there were children. But we, we learn in some way to divide ourselves up somewhere in our nature. Yeah. We tend to, so even those innocent children may just come up with different ones, but I, I'd be willing to bet they come up with their own levels of division. Yeah. Yeah. So we have that going on, but we very seldom stop to ask why. Um, and even though it, it, it's become something harmful for us, I mean, if it was a survival tool, even when it becomes something harmful for us, it's still something that we, we tend to, to evolve in our societies. So, so you really have to answer, you have to ask yourself the question, why is it there in the first place? Right. Well, the theory of evolution would say that there's some clear advantage for survival. Right. If there is, it doesn't really seem obvious. Yeah, I, I mean, what is the survival advantage to being prejudiced? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But the Judeo-Christian faith would simply say it's the product of sin. Yeah, it would. And we don't want to get flippant or superficial with that because it really depends on how we understand the whole working or, uh, or uh, premise of sin. Now, right. a, a root uh, of the thing is that sin isn't just doing bad things. I know the terms use that, why I sinned, I did this or that. Or, mm -hmm. But doing bad is simply the product of what sin really is because... Right. Sin in its essence, especially as we look at it, we're coming from a, like you said, a Judeo-Christian uh, uh, perspective. So sin is a separation 
from the one that created us, the, the one, capital O, the one who created us. Right. So it, it, what that would mean is that um, in our understanding, we were created in the image of that one, God, God, we're going to use that word, God created us. And sin, in its essence, is simply we separate it. So we are still in his image, but we are a distorted image of God. So sin is, in essence, a distortion of the image we were intended to have. It seems a little bit abstract. So how does that fit in with our topic of prejudice? Okay, so this is where I get to go into some armchair philosophy. <laughs> it, it's a podcast. Everybody's allowed to start waxing philosophical in their podcast. Sure. So uh, I, I would say in my armchair view that there, there seems to be two big distortions at play in here. And the first starts with this. We're wired to see patterns. There's, there's no question. Um, uh, for, you know, from our Christian standpoint, we might say in the image of God, God is creative. Uh, seeing patterns is a, a creative venture. Right. Uh, we might say that it's a survival tool because it's that too. But one thing's for sure is that the human mind can find patterns in anything. We, we can find patterns in anything. Uh, some of them are important, like people groups or facial expressions. Mm -hmm. Man, if you don't learn to read the pattern of facial expressions, you can't even communicate properly. There's even a, a, a condition that some people have where they can't yeah, yeah. recognize. And, and it causes them all kinds of right? trouble. Right. But even for entertainment, I mean, say, who hasn't found patterns of something? As a matter of fact, we didn't have time, I didn't put it in, but I found articles that said, um, depending, like when you look at the clouds and you find patterns, mm -hmm. it says, what you find in the clouds says about you. And I, <laughs> and I said, I, I didn't have time, I would have read the article, because I'm sure it's true. It's, I bet you, <laughs> just out of curiosity. Well, it's like the cards, yeah. you know, that... Uh, if you go to a Warshak, uh, Rorschach cards, yeah. Is that what they're called? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to tell them what you see on the yeah. card. Yeah, and that t that'll tie into this whole thing. Yeah. But when you look at clouds, do you see anything? I, I wondered, I was wondering for myself, when you look at clouds, do you primarily see objects or faces? Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, objects. It, yeah, I, I would say objects. Yeah, and I don't know. That was that's not even a theory in progress. Just a thought. I think I normally see, but I'm surprised how much I see faces. Really? Uh, ah. and not and I don't know if I've noticed so much in the clouds, but I had a number of um, uh, screensavers. Uh, my favorite screensavers are are the cosmos. You know, yeah. nebulas. You know, star clusters, cool. all of that. It all fits in with the tricky thing, I think. <laughs> but when I look at them, I can find faces in anything. Hmm. So <clears throat> I would say, so maybe I'm a face person and you're an object person. I don't know what that <laughs> says about it. Probably you're more intelligent. That's what it says. Oh, I don't think so. <clears throat> you know, there's a name for seeing patterns. Okay. Let's see if, let's see if I can remember how to say it. Apophenia. Right. See, smarty? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and if you kick apophenia up a notch, there's another uh, term they use is pareidolia, I think. If, I probably butchered the, the way you say it, but <laughs> the idea of this is that you see patterns, like you say in apophenia, but that you, you start putting meanif meaningful interpretations to the pattern that you're finding. So, there's a lot of movies actually based on that one. 
that, that was once thought of as crazy, you know. Yeah, they said it was uh, <laughs> schizophrenia was like a, an onset of that or something. Yeah, but recent psychology says it's actually a pretty normal experience of the mind. So I hope so, or maybe <laughs> locking me up. But uh, I, I actually, when I looked at, it, I thought of two things. Your brother's a big one on finding. Everything's a sign for him. He'll look for signs and things. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's it's intriguing. It makes life magical that way. But the other thing was, um, the, the most striking instance for me was actually something in church and a story that was kind of relayed. Um, in our, our church, we have a, a stained glass window that was very nicely made. And it, it's something you would expect in the church. It has a dove on it, like the, the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. symbol, a dove and some flowers and, and uh, mm -hmm. olive branch, I think. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it has, you know, these, and it has clear bevel glass and color bevel mm -hmm. glass and stuff. Um, well, we had an individual in the church who was um, going through a low point like we all do. And, and they mm -hmm. were in on one Sunday and they were really down over something. Mm -hmm. And, and um, the thing to remember about this window, too, is it's only in certain seasons you have to have the strong beam of light hit the light at just the right angle, and then it'll project on the floor. So what happened, this felt person was in a um, at the back, back wall where the last set of chairs is, yeah. having in the midst of this just dark thought that came over them, whatever depressing thought, and the floor lit up. <laughs> with this projection now here's where it really gets you is yeah, the way they look projection. <laughs> even though it's a dove and everything on the window the projection on the floor i i kid you not looks like a side profile of jesus wearing a, a thorn a crown of thorns wow. it looks like that uh, if um if uh, we were in another denomination they probably would have this area sanctified on the floor, you know, but when it hits the light just right, you will see Jesus on the floor. And that's what happened to this person. They were in this thought, and, and just as they were feeling uh, really down, <laughs> Jesus illuminated on the floor. So Nothing like the face of Jesus to change your mood, right? right. <laughs> and, and, you know, exactly on the whole thing. Now, the person looking realized this was a trick of light. They knew it was coming from the, the window and everything. Yeah. But the fact that it happened at just that moment as they were thinking that, they couldn't help but think, here is a, just a maybe a little sign of God saying, um, yeah, it's okay. I got you, and, and, yeah. and I'm, you know, really, it's like I'm not so sure I'd even argue against right, that. So. Right, right. Um, I probably felt the same way. You mentioned a second distortion of God's image. What was that? Okay, and that, and of course, as we talked about uh, uh, this one, the, the distinguishing of patterns, and, and we see if we look at prejudice of uh, fitting in that way, it, it, it has degraded. The second thing is social interaction is that us being social creatures. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's a great illustration, just to throw out a little bit of uh, trivia. Uh, when they first started colonizing in North America, well, this is a big place, there was a lot of land, and they attracted people over by giving them big tracts of land. Right. So you can imagine these peasants coming over, woohoo, there's this, they more land than they ever thought they'd see, let alone own. Right. So they did what you think you would do. They they planted their homesteads right dead center in this big track of land. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, after a few years, they started knowing they're getting noticing they're uh, they're getting a little weird. You know, it's just 
in the isolation with no one else around, they were starting to not act right. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, the whole trend changed where people stopped building in the center of their land and started building on the borders of their land. So can you guess why they would do that? For social reasons, <laughs> to be, be together. <laughs> well, pretty much is that uh, for this, and it's amazing, for the sake of their own sanity, yeah. they actually started congregating so that they were not that far from other people. Uh, and, and you'd find crossroads where you'd find like four homesteads or whatever all together, yeah. all for the sake of their sanity. And, and that's, I mean, a pretty good indication of how wired we are as social creatures. Right. Yeah. And, and if we're social, wouldn't that tend to make us less given to prejudice, though? That's, th there you go with the big why, isn't it? Is yeah. that if, if that's a way, if we're so social, mm. then wouldn't that make us less prejudiced and yet we're more? So, you know, how does that fit in? Uh, well, research also found this. Um, not, we may be social creatures, but we're very given to identifying with particular groups. So, you know, we're given to subgroups within the large group. We find whatever those commonalities are for us through, the pa through a pattern. I mean, we notice the patterns of people, find whatever's those commonalities for us, and then we'll identify with that group. Do you have any examples of that playing out? Uh, yeah, there, there's some intriguing stuff out there. And, and when we were talking and I was looking at the subgroup thing and identifying, there were two that came to mind. One was, and this teacher actually got in trouble for this later, I think, which is unfortunate. They decided that all of this that we were talking about being child, children of the 60s, and I think this mm -hmm. is where this came from. A teacher, uh, and I think it was an elementary school teacher, had this idea. And so they ran their own little experiment. And what they did is they told all the kids in the class that those who had light color eyes tended to be more intelligent than those with dark color eyes. Oh. Just <laughs> eyes. That's oh, all she said, just eyes. And then watch where it went. And sure enough, one thing, the, the kids with dark color eyes, their grades dropped. Really? Yeah, because they they wow. were expected to not do as well, and so they didn't. Mm -hmm. The kids who had light color eyes, no matter where they sat in thing, the the slope on their uh, the uh, curve on their learning went up, and the kids stop stopped identifying with each other. Oh wow! In the class, so just on on obviously a false premise but it was enough to st set off the stereotypes uh, that we were talking about. The one that really intrigued me was a, an interview uh, from, uh, I forget which character it was in Lord of the Rings. And they said they noticed an interesting thing. And it, it would have to be a movie like this because you know Lord of the Rings. Right. There's, there are people groups. That's the whole, the whole structure yeah. of the story. You've right. got hobbits yeah. and elves and dwarves and all of this. Right. And uh, as you remember the movies, the prosthetics and, and makeup are very, very good. So people look like what they were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So obviously they don't get out of makeup for a lunch break or whatever. But anytime they had a break, they started noticing at first when everybody first met, everybody milled with whoever they knew. But as the movie went on in its production, people tended to sit 
with the group. They elves were made, with elves and they, Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was just like Lord of the Rings for real. They were all sitting there in the actual groups they were made up to look like. So that's how natural it comes to us to divide into these subgroups. And of course the negative side of this is when we fall into a hostile us and them kind of right. mindset. Right, which the, the, the research you mentioned earlier really helps uh, bring about. So it, it, we have a good wiring yeah. as far as it, it was intended God that we would see patterns and things and that we would be social. But when you take good wiring and distort it with the bad dynamic, well, you can see, multiply that over centuries of time right. and uh, millions if not billions of numbers and things get nasty pretty, you know, pretty deeply. Right. Well, and so then what's the solution for the universal weakness of prejudice then? There's none. There's no hope at all. <laughs> and then the broadcast oh, okay. ends, yeah, and bye. everybody, bye. yeah, bye. Uh, so there's people depressed all over the place. No, um, actually, ju just to to grease the wheels of imagination a little bit. Imagine if uh, our default is somehow we could set our default where that patternizing that we do yeah. uh, was based around not subgroups but humanity as a whole. That what we have in common before anything else, any subgroup, is simply that we're human beings. Right. And and using kind of the Christian filter in that, not only are we human beings, we're, we're not perfect, but we are the treasure of a perfect creator. Yeah. Our value lies in our origin, and we all have the same origin. And that became the way we, you know, our first level of patternizing, if you will. And that sounds ideal, but like you say, humanity is distorted from the image of God, so it's unlikely we'd get there on our own. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think you put it generously, because not only is it unlikely, I would say it's impossible. Yeah. It's kind of the utopian dream that was came through the Enlightenment in the 1900s turned out to be an utter disaster. Yeah. But uh, the realization of that is actually the hope of, of the Judeo-Christian um, stance because um, well there's a, there's an ancient promise that's reiterated from the Old Testament to the New Testament and I thought I'd get you to read this. Sure. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31 33 Hebrews 10 16. Right and you know when you write you find a writing in both testaments you know that it is a cohesive very powerful statement of some kind, in this right. case, uh, promise. Uh, and what the promise is, is that God himself, it has to start by an inside change that then works outwards. But an, a true inside change is really of that profound magnitude, where we're talking mm -hmm. transformation of, of an inherent character. Yeah. Something that profound has to be facilitated from something greater than ourselves. Yeah, exactly. uh, you know we we might pull ourselves up by our bootstraps sometime, but not to that degree. Right. And of course, from uh, uh, the filter from which we speak, that entity is the one who created us in the first place. That's right. And uh, if we don't allow the change to be changed back to before the distortion, if you will, mm -hmm. the only other option or uh, the outcome, it's inevitable, is that 
dynamics like prejudice are they, they just have to to be that's where we are mm. so there is a way yes but the bottom line is there is a way <laughs> it's just not us <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good note to end on the canaan sunday message will build on this as we look into the fascinating background of samaria and apply it to our samaria Right. We take you out of this episode with the Zach Williams song, Old Church Choir, sung this week at Canaan. Yes, it certainly was. And keep an eye out. You'll have to look quickly <laughs> and carefully for the That's flossing kid. I love this guy. He made the song for me. So. And until next Sunday, may we see value in others for simply being human. Be blessed. Be see blessed. you next time. Canaan Community's Facebook, 
YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.